Housing for the Aged Action Group, Hague for short, a housing group for older people run by older people. Present Raise the Roof! We advocate for secure, affordable and appropriate housing. So listen up on the second and fourth Wednesday of the month at 5.30pm on 3CR 855 on your AM dial. That's right. Welcome back, listeners, to 2024. This is Housing for the Aged Action Group's show, Raise the Roof. And my name is Fiona. I am not here with anyone today because Shane is taking a well-deserved break. However, pretty excited to be back in the summer. And I have a really great interview, which is timely, um, from Emma Bacon from Sweltering Cities, who is talking about some recent positive developments um, around cooling in rental properties in Victoria and a whole bunch of other stuff. So I'm going to go straight into that interview and um, I'll catch up again with you after we've had a chat. We're joined in the studio today by Emma Bacon from Sweltering Cities. How are you going today, Emma? I'm great, thank you. Thanks for having me. Before we start um, talking about the issues of um, housing and heat waves, I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about who Sweltering Cities are and what it is that you do there. Sure thing. So, Sweltering Cities is a relatively new NGO. We kicked off in 2020 to work directly with communities who are impacted by extreme heat. So, that's people who live in hot suburbs and hot homes across Australia. And we do campaigns and advocacy with those communities to win more livable, equitable and sustainable cities and try to prevent heatwave emergencies. We know that, um, you know, with rising temperatures with the low quality of homes that many of us live in, um, more and more people are at risk during heat waves and in periods of high temperatures. And what we mean by that when it comes to being at risk, it means that people might be exposed to or vulnerable to heat stroke, heat exhaustion, um, other health risks, including mental health, physical health impacts. And this is much more widespread than lots of us understand. The things that make people vulnerable are things like, you know, very young kids, older people, people in low-quality homes, people who work outside, and people with chronic illnesses or disabilities. Also, people who are pregnant are at risk. So it's actually a really broad um, cross-section of society that might be at risk during high temperatures. And so we're working with all sorts of different people um, on those advocacy projects because we know grassroots solutions are the most powerful solutions when it comes to protecting our community. Yeah, so quite a few of the vulnerable people that you listed off there are people that HAG interacts with all the time. I guess older people, people with a chronic illness, people that are living Mm -hmm. in poor quality housing, particularly older renters. Um, And I believe there's been some recent um, announcements by the Victorian government to address some of those issues, particularly around poor quality rental housing. Would you Mm -hmm. be able to tell us a little bit about what we know so far around those announcements? Sure thing. And I think the overarching thing here we need to remember is that so much of heat vulnerability is caused by so by structural inequality. So, you know, when it comes to older people, for example, people are going to be at a much higher risk if they are a renter who's living in a hot home that they can't make changes to or social housing for the same reason. You know, the fact that our healthcare system isn't as accessible or as um, cheap and, you know, available as it needs to be, you know, that's why these 
you know, cohorts of people are vulnerable. Um, it's not just those physiological, physiological elements, but it's also, you know, the structural inequalities that people live through every day. Mm. Um, and as you said, you know, there has been some news recently about renters and cooling in Victoria. And it's something that we are really excited about. Um, you know, we haven't secured the win yet, but I think we've taken a big step towards it. So last year, we started working with renters across Victoria who were, you know, supporters, activists with sheltering cities, who were telling us that, you know, each summer they were just baking in their homes and they felt like there was nothing they could do about it. This isn't just people who are saying, you know, they need air con. Um, this is people saying, you know, we want ceiling fans, we want, um, you know, door... Um, uh, like mesh doors or screen doors on the front of their homes so that they can get some airflow in and out. Um, it's people wanting basic insulation, things like that. There's even people who want better blinds and they're having their landlords say, we don't need to do it, we're not going to give you any of the above, we don't care how hot it gets. And we have people come to us and say, you know, we are getting sick with the heat. So we've been running a campaign together with activists and other organisations to try and put cooling in the minimum standards. At the end of last year, we saw an announcement from the Victorian government right at the end of the year in December that they are going to look at putting cooling and insulation standards in the minimum rental standards in Victoria. This will be the first jurisdiction across the country that will put cooling in the minimum standards. But we don't know exactly what that's going to look like. So we know the next few months are going to be a big push to make sure it's strong controls that help keep people safe at home. So what sort of things might that include, do you think, when, when the government, I think it was in, what, what year was it, 2021, um, something around there, changed the minimum standards for rental properties to include heating, so there had to be a minimum standard for heating, but they didn't address cooling, which is pretty ironic given that um, the climate is heating up. What do you think it might actually look like if they do pass this piece of um, regulation? Well, I think there's two ways to do it that could be a good way to do it. So one is to have temperature thresholds. So if you can demonstrate that your house gets dangerously hot, then you should be able to go to your landlord, go to the property owner and say, you know, we need to do something about this. You know, I can't live in this dangerous environment. You know, as we know, heat waves are the deadliest environmental disaster. They kill more people than all the others combined. If we're not letting people live in a home that's unsafe in floods or bushfires or other disasters, then we shouldn't let people live in um, homes that aren't safe in heat waves. Though I should say, unfortunately, we do let people live in homes that aren't safe in floods or bushfires either. Mm. So that's one way we could do it. We could say, you know, here's a threshold temperature for when it's unsafe to be at home. The other way to do it is to put cooling, um, you know, in things that are already in the minimum standards. So, you know, measures around thermal comfort. I mentioned blinds earlier. We could do something like, say, at the moment, it says people need blinds for um, privacy. You could add on and thermal comfort at the end of that. Um, you could put other provisions around, you know, having an air conditioner where possible, having energy efficient appliances um, and putting cooling in saying that we have the right to have, um, you know, different mechanisms for cooling. I don't think we're going to win um, that people should be able to get an air con if they ask for it. I think that that's something that... Um, would see some pushback on, even if that is the most appropriate thing for some houses. Um, but what we do really want is people to be able to go and say, you know, fans, insulation, screen doors, blinds, draft proofing, um, double glazing or better windows, all of these things that are common sense energy efficiency measures 
um, visas or things we could put in the minimum standards. What we don't want is a provision that says something like, if you're upgrading or installing an aircon, it should be a certain energy efficiency measure. Because that's the thing, you know, a measure that's already happening, that's already a decision that's um, happening for the aircon itself. And whilst that is important, it's not going to give more people access to cooling. We need to concentrate on getting as many people in safe homes as possible. Yeah, because I guess one of the risks is that, um, as we're already seeing, is that people who live in new housing are going to automatically have safer housing than people that are living in the more run-down, older housing, which are often weatherboards with no insulation and tin roofs and all of that sort of stuff. Um, so I guess there's a there's a fair bit of work to be done in the housing stock in Australia to bring it up to a standard that is safe for, for older people, particularly older renters. That's definitely true. And what we're seeing at the moment is that growing gap between the newer, higher energy efficiency home and the older home. So at the moment, um, for new homes built across Australia um, and soon in Victoria, this is going to be true, all new homes have to be at least seven stars energy efficiency. But at the same time, the average home in Victoria is just under two stars energy efficiency, which mm. is closer to a tent than it is to the current minimum standards um, for new homes. So we know that the big problem is older homes that aren't energy efficient, that don't have good heating and cooling and that don't protect the residents, and that that growing gap is going to be... Um, it's going to mean that poorer people, people with less housing security, people on lower income are going to be living in dangerous homes. Um, people who are wealthier are going to have access to safe homes, and that's just an unacceptable situation for a country like Australia that's so wealthy. Absolutely. And I guess you often hear from uh, the, the landlord side of the equation about all of this is so costly and it means that there's less housing stock and, um, you know, we can't possibly be, you know, we can't be rental providers when we have these ridiculous minimum standards being imposed upon us. What's the view of sweltering cities around those sorts of arguments? Well, I would say that if people can't provide safe housing, then they shouldn't be providing housing at all. Mm-hmm. You know, that um, when, you know, landlords say or, you know, the Victorian state government when it comes to public housing, when they say, oh, it's too expensive to do this upgrade, what they're doing is they are pushing the health, the environmental and the social costs onto residents and the community. So when you say, oh, I can't afford to, you know, have a safe home when it comes to extreme heat, what you're doing is pushing those health costs onto the residents. They are the ones who have to face sleepless nights, risk of heat stroke and other physical impacts. They're the ones who have to end up at the hospital um, or other, you know, other impacts they might be feeling. Also, low energy efficiency homes are much worse for the environment. People are going to be using a lot more energy to cool it um, than they would for a high energy efficiency home. So all of these choices, when we say, oh, this is too expensive to do, that's just externalising the cost and it's making sure the rest of us whether it's the residents, the community or the environment, we're the ones paying for it. Absolutely. Now, I know that you guys are um, releasing, I believe it's called a, a, a heat stress tool. Would you be able to talk us through what exactly that means and, and how people can, can use that tool? Yeah, sure thing. So last year we collaborated with Sydney University with a really fantastic team of researchers who, um, you know, they are world-leading in terms of analysing the heat health impacts and really understanding, you know, what the best safety measures are, but also how different people are affected. And so these experts, they've been working with, um, for example, the Australian Open 
to analyse, you know, if it's this temperature, how much tennis can you play? If it's that temperature, you know, do we need to take breaks? Do you need to drink more water? Things like that. Mm. And what they've been doing is taking that type of science, so looking at, you know, what are the physical impacts of extreme heat? What is the best advice? And saying, you know, how can we provide this information to the community as well? Not just professional tennis players, but also, you know, everyday people. Even people other than tennis players have a even, right to, <laughs> have a right to know this. Even people other than tennis players, I know. Um, thank, goodness they, thank goodness they agree. Um, so what they've done is they've actually created this fantastic tool where you can put in your location, you can put in some statistics about yourself, so you know, age, whether you're on medications that might affect the way your body deals with heat, if you've got any other um, factors, like, you know, if you have a chronic illness or a disability or experiencing homelessness, any of these things. And it'll give you a personalised heat risk rating. So it'll tell you whether you're at low, medium, high, or even extremely high risk that day and give you a little graph that says at what time of the day you're going to be most at risk and a projection for the coming days. And it'll give you really good advice, like practical things people can do, whether that's, you know, using evaporative cooling, like wetting your skin and sitting in front of a fan, which is a super effective way to keep cool, whether it's, you know, wearing light clothing, staying hydrated, um, lots of different measures. So anyone can use that tool in Australia. It was originally set up for Western Sydney, but I know they've had so much interest um, that they've actually decided to, you know, make it available for everyone. Um, and it's a really fantastic tool that people can use. That sounds really useful. And I guess you did mention Western Sydney there. I know that there are places in Australia and in our major cities that are at higher risk of heat and heat stress for those residents. Um, is there particular work that you've been doing on a grassroots level with those suburbs and those places that are particularly at risk? Yeah, so one of our big projects is to do a thing called the Summer Survey where we really get in, um, you know, on the ground in these hot suburbs, whether it's, you know, the western suburbs of Melbourne, the western suburbs of Sydney, it's, you know, Ipswich in Queensland or anywhere around the country, these hot areas, or people who live in hot homes, even if they're in suburbs that aren't, you know, the hottest, um, and asking them, you know, what does it feel like um, to, you know, what, like, how does the heat affect your health, your home, your family, your work? And then what we do is we take these results. This is the third time we've done the survey. Um, we take those results and we say, well, you know, in this area, what are the issues people are feeling really strongly? That's how we started doing the renters campaign in Victoria. It's why we're doing a busted bus stops campaign in Western Sydney to win great bus shelters on all of Western Sydney's hot streets. And it's why we're looking at updating the national planning codes to make sure that we are you know, building for a future climate, not one that doesn't exist anymore, and that means safer homes for everyone. Mm. So we've got all these different campaigns, and all of them come from that on-the-ground work of listening to people and saying, you know, heat is often felt as an individual problem. You know, all of us feel like, oh, I can't sleep, I can't afford to turn air cotton on, you know, I'm worried about my pets, things like that. But actually, heat affects hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people at once. And what that means is that we don't need individual solutions. We need really big, ambitious, collective solutions. Mm. And so that's what we're doing. We're taking people's stories and we're saying, you know, how do these all fit together and what are the most effective solutions that we can all win together? So you've done this survey every year for the last three years. Is that right? 
We took a year off last year, but we've done, this is our third, but we didn't do last year. So it'll be quite interesting because I guess we have been in La Nina in southern Australia for those mm. times too. So I imagine that in the coming years as we move into a, a different climate pattern that the results could be even even more startling. Is that what you're anticipating? I know it feels strange as we're recording this today, we're in torrential downpour and we've had an unseasonably cold and wet summer, but I believe there is some heat coming. So um, mm. is that the sort of thing that you're anticipating in your next in the survey results coming up? Yeah, it is. And, you know, right now, um, parts of the East Coast, especially in New South Wales, Victoria, it's like, as you said today, there's floods. Um, we've had Queensland have had some very bad floods recently. Um, but at the same time, you know, recently we had the hottest ever December day in Brisbane. Um, we've had some record temperatures in November and December. And we know that 2023 was the global hottest year on record. Um, so we're expecting that in the coming weeks that people are going to experience some hot days again. And, you know, that is one of the reasons we're doing the summer survey. Yeah, for sure. But also, I'll yeah, keep going, um, sorry. So it's okay. Um, but also the other thing is that this summer survey in particular, we're looking at um, the impact of the cost of living and housing crisis on how people manage the heat. Compared to two years ago, a whole lot more people are in housing stress, whether that's because their mortgage or their rent's gone up. A lot of people are feeling the pinch when it comes to buying groceries and just everyday essentials. And, you know, I can tell you that already, you know, in the hundreds of responses we've heard, um, we've heard from people that, you know, people are choosing, you know, can I afford groceries or can I afford to keep cool? And that's something we've heard from Perth to Melbourne to Brisbane, all over the country. People are making those choices. And I don't know about you, but I think that, you know, it is just totally unacceptable to me that people right now are thinking, you know, can I afford to keep my family safe? Can I afford to put food on the table? You know, can I afford to buy essentials? Um, and that this pressure is so widespread um, that this is an unacceptable situation. We need to be doing something. And at the moment, the state and federal governments have just got their heads in the sand about it. And it does really affect some of the measures that I mostly local government, I mean, state and federal government don't take much initiatives in these things. But when there is a heat wave, there's often local governments saying the pools are open, um, the, you know, come to the shopping centre and go to the aircon movies and all of this sort of mm -hmm. stuff. But for that to happen, you need to have a disposable income that allows you to catch public transport to go to the shops. Um, you can't often hang around shopping centres without buying things. So it really is mm -hmm. disproportionately affecting the poorest and the most vulnerable in our communities? A hundred percent. You know, last year I spoke to some people who were residents in some of the older people's public housing um, in the inner city of Melbourne. And they live in a council area where people do say, oh yeah, go to the shopping centre, go to the library, places like that. And I went to talk to the residents about, you know, what do they do on a hot day? And they said, you know, they would never go to the library or the shopping centre because it's just too far away. And their local tram line isn't one of the accessible ones. It's one of the ones we have to take big steps up. And for them, that just is impossible by themselves. Um, so they're staying in their hot apartments. They're staying in the community room at the bottom of their building. Or they're walking down the road to go to the pokies room at the local tavern mm -hmm. where they're going to sit there for four, five, six hours because they feel like that's the best option they have locally. So it is people who, you know, don't have transport, who don't have the money for a cab or... Um, things like that and you know it is expensive to stay cool um, you know and this is just means that the people who don't have disposable income as you said are the ones who are really dreading the summer and dreading the heat. 
It really is all interconnected and it shows just how systemic the issue is when we're looking at the poor quality of housing with the cost of living crisis and the lack of public transport options, as well yeah. as a lack of coordination um, from all three levels of government. Is, is that something that you're hoping can evolve from this grassroots campaigning that you're doing, is that we're actually calling on all levels of government to do something about this? Would you be able to tell us about exactly what you're hoping um, I guess government does definitely yeah so I think um, across the country we can see that local government is doing the heavy lifting when it comes to heatwave response you know they're the ones doing heatwave communications directly to the community they're talking about open cooling safe spaces you know they're thinking about how their libraries and their pools and other facilities are being managed um, and we know that even like local government are running heatwave disaster scenarios so they can you know, make sure that all of their staff and the local stakeholders um, have a more, like, a deeper understanding of um, of heat waves and what it's going to do. And so, you know, what we can see is that a lot of local government are being really proactive. Unfortunately, at a state and federal level, we are not seeing the same type of leadership. And it's something that we think is, uh, you know, I'm optimistic that it's going to change. I'm optimistic, you know, we have a federal emergency management minister who I think, you know, in Murray Watt, um, the federal minister and his team, I think, are taking it really seriously. Um, but unfortunately, there's no state or territory in Australia that has a really good heatwave plan that really looks at how vulnerable people are kept safe, that really lays out who is responsible for what. And, you know, as I mentioned earlier, heatwave vulnerability is caused by structural inequality. We cannot build enough heat shelters to keep everyone safe. And for a lot of the most vulnerable people, they're never going to be properly accessible. So what we need to do is concentrate on safe homes, an accessible healthcare system, really good heatwave communications, and making sure that you know people can access food, medications, other essentials in the heat. Um, you know these are what we really need to be doing. And we'd love to see more leadership at the state and federal level on those issues. Um, and as I said, especially on making sure people can be safe at home because. You know, we just can't rely on everyone going to the library. Absolutely. And I guess it's great that Victoria is looking at cooling standards in the home. And if mm. the regulations are strengthened, then I'm sure we would see that as a win. Um, and I'm sure you would as well as the other tenant advocates that have mm -hmm. been campaigning on this. But also the flip side of that is the enforcement of the regulations. We're seeing currently that minimum standards aren't um, that exist aren't really being enforced and terrible rentals are still out on the market um, how do we how do we as a as a movement in make the government actually enforce their own laws do you think i think you're right like it's one thing to get cooling put in the minimum standards but it's another thing to say you know how do people negotiate with their landlords uh, and real estate agents and i think one of the most important things is making sure that we don't have any um no grounds evictions um, and whether that means, you know, it can't just be oh, at the end of a 12-month lease, you can still be kicked out. You know, if you've got a lease, you need to be able to stay um, in your home um, without feeling like, oh, if I, you know, ask for too many things, then I'm going to get trouble. You know, that's one of the biggest protections. We need to change the power dynamic between renters and landlords to give, like, make sure renters um, do have the power to say, you know, I need to be able to live in a safe home. That is the minimum standard. Mm. Um, I need to be safe in any environmental emergency. And something that we were pleased to see last year is that the Victorian government said, 
um, that they were giving some extra funding for an additional body um, to take some relief off VCAT so that it can speed up the tribunal process. So if people are taking their um, landlord uh, to VCAT um, in order to, you know, get those minimum standards complied with, um, we don't want there to be a six-month waiting list to be able to even get a hearing. Mm. Um, so that was something we were really pleased to see. Um, but again, people shouldn't have to go to uh, lengthy tribunal processes in order to, you know, live in a safe home. Um, we need to make sure that when people say, you know, I need a home that, you know, isn't going to cause me health problems, um, that the government is on their side. We need that to be as easy as possible for people. Absolutely, especially people that face additional barriers like older people. Mm. So your survey, your summer heatwave survey is on um, at the moment. Uh, where where can people find out how to complete that survey? So if people go to our website, that's swelteringcities.org, and it'll be right there on the front page, as well as on all of our social media. You can find us um, at Sweltering Cities on Instagram, Twitter, um, Facebook, all of the above. Um, and that's probably the best way to find us. But if you go to swelteringcities.org, um, it'll be right there. Great. Thanks so much for coming on today, Emma. We'll share those links in our show notes so anybody who is listening can get involved. And is that a is that a national survey or is that just for Victorians? It's a national survey. Fantastic. And we really encourage um, lots of people who are, you know, might be vulnerable for different reasons in the heat, um, whether they're older people, people with disabilities or chronic illnesses, would really love to hear from you um, because we know that your stories are incredibly powerful and we also know that lots of people who are really feeling the heat are going to have the best ideas about what we can do. So we'd really love to hear from people about their stories, but also about what changes they'd like to see in their community, in their home, with the government, because that's how we can build really strong campaigns. Excellent. Thank you so much for your time, Emma. My pleasure. Thanks. 3CR programs provide information and analysis you won't hear in the mainstream. Today we'll be looking at the legacy of the US war on Vietnam on Laos. And as far as corporate capitalism is concerned, it is the worst political and economic system that you can have. Our laws about jailing refugees and asylum seekers are so well crafted. Sex is not irrelevant and we like who we are, but we don't have to be imprisoned by our gender. Become a subscriber today. Call us on 9419 8377 or visit 3cr.org.au. 3CR, the voice of dissent. We know you love listening to 3CR, but we also know that many of you haven't downloaded the Community Radio Plus app yet. The app lets you tune in anywhere and share the station with your friends. So, show the love and share the love and search Community Radio Plus wherever you get your apps. Welcome back. You're listening to 3CR 855 on the AM dial or via 3cr.org.au or hopefully via the community app that we just heard from. My name's Fiona. This is Raise the Roof. We're just about out of time, but I wanted to give listeners some information about how to get in touch with Housing for the Aged Action Group. So if you are an older renter or an older person in Victoria who is having housing issues, you can call our Home at Last service. 
Hearts. And the phone number is 1300 765 178. Or if you're an older person who wants to get involved in some of the campaigns that we've been talking about today, campaigns for improving the lives of older people by improving their housing, you can get in contact us with us via our office number, which is 039 654 7389. And of course, we are online. We have a website, which is is called oldertenants.org.au and we are also on let me see instagram facebook twitter all sorts of things mastodon um so yeah feel free to get in touch with us that's just about all we have time for today and so i am going to finish with a song this song goes out to shane who reckons he's never heard it before even though he lives in preston it is to preston by courtney barnett see you next time you said we should look out further I guess it wouldn't hurt us We don't have to be around all these coffee shops Now we got that percolator Never made a latte greater I'm saving $23 a week Drive to a house in Preston We see police arresting A man with his hand in a bag How's that for first impressions? This place seems depressing It's a Californian bungalow in a cul-de-sac Coffee, tea and flour And a photo of a young man